Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, LifePoint. My name is Dane Miotov. I'm the student pastor here. And uh, Pastor Mark is out this morning. Uh, he's actually away visiting family this weekend and, uh, and asked me if I would, uh, if I would mind coming in, in, in preaching here for us this morning. I'm excited to, to be here. I can't wait. I'm excited about what we're going through. Um, typically, I'm not able to be in here in the big house. Uh, we're usually over in the student center leading student services every Sunday morning. Uh, but let me just tell you, if you're not aware of what's going on with students, man, God's, God's doing so much. It, it's awesome. We've had our top attendance numbers for the past two Sundays. Uh, we've been able to baptize, uh, awesome, thank you. We've been able to baptize uh, four students so far in the past, uh, in the past month. Um, and we've got two more students that wanna get baptized on October 24th. Uh, this last Wednesday, we had uh, our monthly evangelism event uh, for October, and we actually had two students indicate that they wanted to trust Christ for the first time um, in, 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 uh, in here at LifePoint. So yeah, come on, that's awesome. Um, Man, we, we praise God for that. Um, I, I love it because it's just like, the picture I always think about, uh, us as Christians, as followers of Christ, is man, it's like we are, we're playing for a team that can't possibly lose, right? And it's God who ultimately leads to the win for his team, but we just kind of get to be on the team. We get to play a part. You know, we're kind of like that younger brother, younger sister who gets to play with their older siblings because we know, man, they're gonna win and we get to just kind of be a part of it and see God move and see what he does. And, uh, and man, that's just awesome. Uh, there's so much joy in getting to see what God does as he changes hearts and changes lives here at LifePoint. So I'm excited. Well, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and stand up. Uh, we're going to do our memory verse here this morning, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll kick things off for the morning. Acts 20, 24. Say it with me if you know. If you don't, it's on the screen. Acts 20, 24 says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. Let's go ahead and pray together. Well, Father, I thank you so much for this time that you've given us here, just gathered together as your people. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word. I pray, God, that David, just like David prayed, that you would open our eyes to see beautiful things in your word that you would incline our hearts to your commands and not to our own selfish desires. Father, please bless this time that we spend this morning. And if y'all are willing, I just ask you just to, to pray for yourself. Pray, God, please teach me something here this morning. And then if you could pray for me, pray that what I say would be helpful, would be clear, uh, would ultimately make God look awesome. Father, we love you and uh, we trust you. Please use this time. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Well, last week, last Monday, I believe it was, I got home from work about 5, 5.30, and uh, my wife Josie and I decided to go outside and go for a walk. Uh, we took our daughter, Audrey, uh, because it was just beautiful outside. Like the weather was just perfect. It was one of those just ideal evenings where you could just sit outside, you could talk, you could uh, relax, you could unwind from the rest of the day. But as we were walking down the sidewalk, there was something on my mind. 
something that was just really frustrating me. Uh, something I had kind of been wrestling with internally. I didn't quite know what to do with. It was, it was this combination of just frustration and anxiety and, and uncertainty and, and worry and confusion. And as we were walking down the sidewalk, I just opened up my mouth and began to uh, vent to Josie. Because recently I've tried to be better at keeping in touch with what's going on in the news throughout the world, right? uh, both nationally and internationally. But I had found that as I was just reading news articles and trying to keep up with just what was going on, just trying to, to be aware of what was going on, whether it was following, through following podcasts or through uh, reading articles or, or through watching it on TV, I just became so frustrated with what I was seeing because I just felt like I had seen just headline after headline, or I'd heard somebody's opinion come up and they were vocalizing their thoughts on this stance or that stance, or I was reading a Facebook post or a tweet from somebody and just reading their, 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 their thoughts and their argument around this subject and just getting so frustrated about that because I was just like, do you even know what you're talking about? Like, that doesn't make any logical sense. Like, that's just an appeal from emotion. Like, that doesn't make any sense here. Like, that won't actually work pragmatically. Like, and just getting so worked up about what I was seeing in the world. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, good. I'm not alone. That's nice. That's encouraging. And I don't know about you all, but like I, just, I didn't quite know what to do with that. All right? And so the temptation though, the easy thing, what we tend to think about is just jump on Facebook, right? And so I'm going to watch my friends post. And as soon as I see them post something like, that lacks logic, right? And I'm just gonna rip you apart literarily and just make you look like a fool and help you see the error of your ways. And then, so you kind of, you know, compose your stance and your view and your argument and you look at it, you're like, okay, I think, I think that looks good. I think this will work. But then you kind of backspace a little bit here and like retype, it's not quite cutting enough, right? It's not quite snarky enough, right? And I throw some humor in there. So, you know, they think it's, it's compelling enough. And then you hit send and you think, there is no way that they can argue against this masterpiece, right, of political savvy. And then they come back and they're just like, well, you're just a hater. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're so close. I was like, you missed my point. So you start writing out your logical argument again and computing that. And it just goes back and forth the whole while you're just fuming inside, right? Because you just want to reach the screen and just like shake somebody. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling that, right? Well, recently I had a friend of mine talk to me and, uh, and kind of give me a, a new filter to think about. Give me a new filter to think about as I'm engaging with culture, engaging with news. And they said to me, they said, Dane, when it comes to changing culture, when it comes to advocating for one thing or another, when it comes to vocalizing your perspectives on things, you have to ask yourself a question. And the question you have to ask yourself is this, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? And I think deep down, every single one of us wants to make a difference. We see things in our culture and we want certain things to change. 
Whether you enjoyed how things have gone the past few decades and you're seeing things change now and you're just like, I I don't want that to change. That needs to change back to how it was. And so you wanna see the current culture change back more so to how it was. Or maybe for others of you, your thought is, you know what, I I know how things were the past couple decades and I see the change that's happening right now and I want that change to continue. Regardless of where you fall on either one of those sides, I think we can all agree that at the end of the day, we want change. We wanna make a difference. There are things in our culture that we wanna see changed. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to say that you are horrible for wanting that. I'm not saying that at all. There's nothing wrong with that desire. And in fact, if that is your desire, if your question is, how do I change the culture around me? The world gives you multiple ways to do that. There's multiple ways in which we can change the culture around us that are, that are told to us. Number one, you can do it legislatively. Right? You can vote to change the laws. You can change the legislation. And if you change the legislation, you change the laws. The world tells you that will change life. That'll change culture. You can make a difference legislatively. You can do it through political donations. You might think to yourself, like, I see a person. And if that person is in the seat of decision-making, that will result in lasting change. That will result in a significant difference. You can do it through politics. You can do it through social pressure. To be told, you can do it that way. If you, can, if you get enough people around you, you can force everybody else to do what, in the back of your mind, like they just don't realize this is good for them, right? They just need to do it. They'll see afterwards. But until then, we're just gonna force them to do it. We're just gonna push on this. We're gonna use peer pressure. We're gonna use social force. And we are gonna make a change that way. The world tells you, you wanna make a difference. You can do it that way. And maybe that's a way that's appealing. You can do school curriculum and education. You think to yourself, like, if I have the minds of the next generation, then that will lead to significant change in the culture. If I can change the next generation, I can change the culture. And that's a strategy that's been used historically. Another way the world gives us, if you want to see change, is through protests and marching. You can get out there physically. You can walk side by side, hand in hand with people who have the same mindset about the changes that you want to see. And you all can go out there physically, vocalize, walk, make a presence. You can do that. The world tells you you can make a difference that way. Or lastly, maybe it's it's through public influencers. You find somebody who's popular enough, especially if they have your view You start quoting them, you start retweeting them, you start reposting their views, you start throwing your friends all these articles by this person because you're thinking to yourself like, well, they're popular, they're famous. Maybe if people won't listen to me, they'll listen to them. And so if I align myself with them, then we can see a difference happen. Or if you are talented enough, if you are creative enough, you can become a social influencer. You make enough TikTok videos that go viral, you can change the culture around you. World tells you, you want to make a difference, and I think all of us do, do want to make a difference. There's multiple ways to do it. There's multiple ways to do it. And don't, don't misunderstand me here this morning. I'm not saying that those are all bad things to do. Okay, I'm not saying that. In fact, I think that we are incredibly blessed to live in a country 
right now where you have the freedom to make your voice known in so many different ways. Now, I'm not saying that all of those things are bad things to do, but the question I do want us to ask this morning is that are those the best starting points? Are those the best default responses to think about when it comes to changing the culture? Because that's the question this morning, how do you change a culture? And we're gonna look at Acts chapter 19, continuing on in our series. And what we're gonna see is Paul kicking off his third missionary journey. And see, at the end of the second one, the middle of Acts chapter 18, Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, hey, I will come back, I will return to you if God allows me to. And then in Acts chapter 19, you see Paul returning to Ephesus. At the start of his third missionary journey, you see him coming back to Ephesus. And here's the incredible thing. You see him change the Ephesian culture. You see a mass cultural shift in how life is done in Ephesus. And so I'm not saying that the ways in which we tend to think about changing the culture are bad ways, but what I do want us to ask ourselves honestly is are those the best starting points? Or is there another way? Is there another way to change the culture? We all wanna make a difference. Sometimes we get so caught up in advocating for points that we don't do that. But I want us to look at how did Paul change the culture? How did Paul make a difference? And he gives us the answer in Acts chapter 19. And the answer he gives us is this. Paul says that if you wanna make a difference, you make a difference by proclaiming a person, not a point. You make a difference by proclaiming a person, not a point. Look at me here at Acts chapter 19, verse one, as Paul returns to Ephesus. He says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul finds these guys who are following John the Baptist, but had never heard about the Holy Spirit, right? It's possible to follow a pastor without following his savior, right? That's possible. And so he finds these guys here, we're not believers, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people debate this. Seems pretty clear to me. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. And so what these guys had done, though, was they had aligned themselves with this guy named John the Baptist, who was socially speaking very popular, very well known, someone you would definitely want to align yourselves with as a Jew. And so he finds these guys who are aligning themselves with this mainstream influencer. And this is, like I said, one of the ways in which the world will tell us you can change the culture, you can make an influence, you can make an impact by aligning yourself with an influencer. You behave the right way, you act the right way, you speak the right way, you can change things. 
They were following a baptism of repentance, a baptism of acting, of what it looked like to turn away from certain things. The world tells us you can, you can do that. You can find an influencer. You can change things. And if you watch any news whatsoever, you know this is an incredibly prevalent strategy that's, that's used, an incredibly prevalent move that's used, right? So if you want to look at conservative news media, you know that in the past couple weeks, conservative news outlets have been advocating for people like Nicki Minaj, LeBron James, because these people have gone out there and publicly said that they are not for vaccine mandates. And so those conservative outlets get there like, see, this person says this, this person says this, like, therefore, what I say should have merit to it. But you can flip on the opposite side, find some liberal news outlets, and you'll find people like Steve Martin, Ariana Grande, who will advocate for the exact opposite. The world tells you, hey, this is, this is a strategy you can use. You find somebody with enough social clout, someone with enough popularity, you repost their stuff, you put their arguments out there. People may not listen to you, but they'll listen to them, right? And so therefore, find yourself an influencer. If you're talented enough, become an influencer. The problem with that is that Paul argues the exact opposite direction. He says to these guys following John the Baptist, he's like, oh, you follow John the Baptist? doesn't matter. Your message doesn't have the Holy Spirit in it. It doesn't matter what you're saying. It doesn't matter how many TikTok followers you've got. If you're not following the Holy Spirit, it's not going to make an impact. It doesn't matter. You need the person of Christ if your message is going to make a difference. You want to make a difference in this world, it starts by proclaiming a person, not a point. A person, not a point. We continue on Acts chapter 19 and we see why that's such a big deal because as soon as Paul gets on the scene and he says, no, 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 it's the Holy Spirit that you need, it's the person of Christ that you need to follow, we see this small picture of what was going on in Paul's ministry and what was going on was this massive healing change that was going on in the culture. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. It's the person of Jesus that makes a lasting difference. It's the person of Jesus that makes a lasting difference, not the point. You and I, we wanna make differences and you make a difference by proclaiming a person, not a point. The next thing we see here in the text, Acts chapter 19, verse 13, this is kind of a fun one. Acts 19, verse 13, you see this group of Jews seeking to cast out evil spirits. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, I don't know how you pronounce that, but that's my guess. A Jewish chief priest, we're doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Right? Which is just kind of funny, right? He's just like, oh, wait, wait, stop for a second before you, you know, try to cast me out. I know Jesus, I know, I know that guy. And I've heard of Paul, but, but, but who, who are you again? Like, can you speak up a little bit? Like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. 
And it's just like immediately, you see, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Oh, which rhymes. How bad of a beating do you have to get in order for you to go in clothed and come out unclothed? Like that, that just kind of always stumped me a little bit there. And so number one, like this is just kind of funny. Like it's meant to be kind of humorous. It's meant to be just this picture of pure ridiculousness. But secondly, there's a very serious point to be made in this. And it's this. Devil's not afraid of your point. He's terrified of the person of Christ. The political point, the, argue, the social argument, the economic plan that we all want to advocate for and push for, devil's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of your point. He's terrified of the person of Christ. You and I want to make a difference. It starts by proclaiming a person, not a point. Logically, they're like, why, why is that? Like, like, why is that the case? There was, a, there was an English writer that, that, uh, uh, that was fairly famous at the time, late 1800s, early 1900s, named uh, G.K. Chesterton. And there's a story that very popularly goes around. We actually don't know if it's totally true, but it's been passed around so many times that a lot of people just kind of assume it was true. Uh, we don't have any really historical evidence to back it, but just kind of word of mouth, it seems to be something that probably happened. Um, seems in line with his character. But uh, the New York Times, it stated, uh, put out a question, right, that asked people to respond, what's wrong with the world, right? And Chesterton writes back, after all these people obviously write these long, drawn-out responses, and Chesterton writes back, and he just simply says to the Times, he says, I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. And I think there's something incredibly profound and incredibly simple about that point because here's the thing, here's, here's the big issue here. Political policies are not bad. Right? Economic policies, pursuing economic change, not bad. Pursuing social change, not necessarily bad. We always see, obviously, there's debates around like, okay, what kind of political, what kind of economic, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going there this morning. What I'm saying is it's not at all a bad thing to advocate for changes to culture through the means that we, that we mentioned before. Those aren't bad things. The problem comes when we think that that is going to be the end-all, be-all fix. We think my life would just be better if this happened. Would just be permanently fixed if this policy went in place, if that person was in office, if this social change came about. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good your policy is, no matter how moral your message might be, every single human heart is bent towards itself. Every single one of us is bent towards thinking, what do I wanna do when I wanna do it, how I wanna do it, I want what's best for me. Now, some of us hide that better than other ones, right? Some of us are more socially acceptable in the ways in which we pursue that than others of us are. But every single one of us, when we're alone by ourselves in our room and we look, take a deep down look at our hearts, it's not a pretty thing. Because there is a brokenness inside every single human individual that seeks self-gain. 
in self-glorification in one way or another. And this is what the Bible says. It says that even though we were designed by God to glorify him, meaning that our entire life should be proclaiming how great he is, how awesome he is, how incredible he is, how he is the solution to our story. We don't. We desire what's good for, what we believe to be good for us. We want to proclaim our own name. And that is what the Bible calls sin. What the Bible calls sin is that you and I refuse by nature, by nature, to treat God as the number one thing in existence. That's why Jesus says the number one commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, everything, that your whole life would be captured by this. But we don't. And it's because of sin. It's because sin came in and broke the way that things were meant to be. And so therefore now you and I are naturally bent towards choosing ourself. And so if you take a whole bunch of broken human beings, give them the most perfect political system in the world, it doesn't matter. They'll break it because they themselves are broken. You need something to fix the heart. You gotta fix the heart first. Otherwise, nothing else is gonna matter. It might make things easier for a little while. It might make things more comfortable for a little while. It might bring a level of peace for a little while, but it's not gonna do any permanent difference. It's not gonna do any permanent difference. You gotta fix the human heart. And that's what Jeremiah in the Old Testament prophesied about when he spoke about this thing we call the new covenant. It was the fact that God said, there will come a day when I will send my son to fix the human heart. I'll give you a whole new heart, a heart that loves me, that desires me, that wants me. That's why when somebody becomes a Christian, it's not that they were all of a sudden like convinced of an argument. It's that all of a sudden in a moment, they found themselves in a place where like, I'm done doing things my way. I wanna do things your way, God. I want you. I want you. And I trust that Jesus made that possible, that all of my imperfection, he took on himself. You punished him instead of punishing me. And it killed him instead of killing me so that now I get a new heart and a relationship with you. That's the message of Christianity. That's the gospel. It's a whole bunch of broken people who have found the heart surgeon and he's not charging a single thing. And when you change the human heart, you make a permanent difference. You make a permanent difference. And that's what we see here in the story of Ephesus because as hearts were changed in the community of Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 17, we see the culture change at Ephesus. It says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed that they had done what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What we see here in Ephesus is a mass culture shift. And it didn't happen by Paul going out there and be like, hey, listen, all your scrolls, like I want them right now, let's go burn them. 
It came about by proclaiming the name of Christ. Proclaiming the name of Christ and seeing the difference that he makes in people's lives. Because when he changes your heart, you start to love things you didn't love before. You start to hate things you didn't hate before. You have a level of peace that transcends anything else going on. Because even though your life could be a mess, the community around you could be a mess, every single thing around you could be going the exact opposite direction of what you think it should be going, you know you have a God in heaven who controls history and who loves you and who will provide for you. And like we said at the very beginning of this sermon, whose purpose and plan cannot be thwarted. The route in which he brings us there might look kind of confusing, but we always get there. It's guaranteed. He can't fail. I was talking with a couple of pastors last week. It's like watching a football game that you already know the end to, that you've recorded, right? Whenever your team just massively screws up, but you know the ending score at the end of the game, you know they win, you're no longer anxious and worried and concerned about what might happen because you know what happens. You get to watch the game more with this excitement of like, how is this going to turn out? How is God gonna get the glory in this? Because he's gonna get the glory in it one way or the other. How is it gonna happen? You have a peace in that situation. And you're able to step onto the field and to continue playing because you have a peace that transcends what you see around you. Because you know the solution is not in a point to be made. Even though there's times to make points, you know a solution is in the person of Christ. And that's what you see here in Ephesus. As we close here this morning, you see the natural result of kind of what happens. Because as this culture change occurs, there's some people in Ephesus that it starts to affect their wallet, right? And whenever that happens, you see this riot break out in Ephesus. This just mass chaos. People yelling and screaming and and gathering all together and, and advocating for change. It's just sheer chaos. When we read a snippet of it here in Acts chapter 19, verses 32 through 34. And it says this, it says, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people, this is kind of funny, most of the people did not even know why they were there, right? They're all just like shouting and raving. They're like, why are we even here? Like, I don't know. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, who was the primary goddess they worshiped there in Ephesus. It's just this this picture of just sheer chaos. This picture of just sheer chaos chaos. Shouting ensues. And I can't help but like look at that and just see such a similarity sometimes to how I feel whenever trying to navigate the news, navigate conversations with friends or with family or whatever. Like sometimes you look at what's going on in the world around you, whether it's at your home or at your place of work or or with friends or just with complete strangers on social media. And it just seems like chaos. It's just people screaming and people shouting. And if you're anything like me, it's, it's so easy to succumb to that. It's so easy to give in to that yourself. 
and to see the points being made and to start thinking to yourself like, hey, but I can make a better point. I can make a better point. A point that will make their points look like nothing. But in that chaos, we have to fight to remember that if we wanna make a difference, it comes by proclaiming a person, not a point. We make a difference by proclaiming a person and not a point. And so as we close here this morning, I wanna kind of just talk to two groups of people because we have a, a group of people this size, it's inevitable that we probably have some people in here who have decided I wanna follow Christ with my whole life. And that's what I've been seeking to do because I love him and he saved me and I want my whole life to be about him. But there's inevitably probably others of us in here who are more of the mindset of like, I, I don't know, I'm not quite there yet. I'm thinking about it. Or I just got dragged here by a friend. I'm kind of just waiting for this thing to be done. And if that's you, I just wanna say, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. Give me a quick second, just kind of chill. Because I wanna talk to those of us here this morning first who would say, I, I wanna follow Christ with my whole life. My whole life, not just on Sunday mornings, not just at life group. I want him to be reflected in everything that I do, including how I engage with culture, including how I engage with different political or cultural, social or economic conversations. Because again, this is not a message about how we shouldn't engage in those areas. It's a message about how we should think about engaging in those areas. And I don't know what that looks like for you to proclaim a person over a point in those various areas in your life. It's probably gonna look different for a whole lot of different people in here this morning. But what I wanna encourage us to do together as a family, those of you who say, I wanna follow Christ, is I wanna invite us to spend the next minute or two just in individual prayer, talking to our Father and asking Him, Lord, do people know me for proclaiming a point or a person? How can I proclaim the person of your Son in the communities in which you've placed me? Let's take a few minutes and pray together. Well, as we continue in a, a state of prayer this morning, I wanna go back to that group of us here who is maybe just kind of checking out church, who's maybe just considering who Jesus is, who's never actually made that decision to follow him with your whole life, to look to him, be like, God, I'm done doing things my way. I wanna do things your way. I mean, if that's you, I don't want you to feel any shame or condemnation because that's not what Christ did. Christ came and gave an invitation, knowing that there's no platform that can fix our lives. There's no point that can be made. There's no policy that can be put in place. It doesn't matter how much education we amass. It doesn't matter how much legislation gets past, we are, we are broken deep down inside of us. We can't fix us. We all have a tendency to lie and cheat and steal and kill. And no matter how hard we try to change our behavior, that brokenness is still there. That darkness is still there. We're all like, like Lady Macbeth, right? just scrubbing our hands, screaming, trying to get that spot out. And it won't come out no matter how hard we try but there's a God who came to bring healing. There's a God who came to bring cleansing, to fix the brokenness inside of us. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
and he looks at you this morning and he doesn't look to you and tell you, hey, I want you to fix this. I want you to stop the way that you're talking. I want you to act better. I want you to behave. I want you to get this better. And then you can come talk to me and then you can come have a relationship with me. He doesn't say any of that. He says, hey, just come to me. Just come to me. You bring all your brokenness. You bring all your failings. You bring all your shortcomings. You you come to me because I make the difference. I make everything different. If that's you this morning, that's something that you wanna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close us out in prayer here in a second. And I just encourage you, prayer is just talking to God. And so if that's you this morning and you want your life given over to him, just tell him that. That's all you gotta do, just tell him that. Say, God, I'm done doing things my way. I wanna do things your way. I love you and I trust that Jesus made that possible. I invite you to do that as we pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us. I pray that you would give us insight into, man, how can we proclaim the person of Christ rather than prioritizing points to be made? Use us, fathers, as as ambassadors of permanent change in our culture. We wanna see our culture changed, but for you, We wanna see our culture changed, not for a political party or for a social agenda, but we wanna see our culture changed for you because you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I've come to bring life and life to the full. Father, if there's those of us here this morning who are done doing things our way, wanna do things your way, Father, I thank you just so much that your grace is greater than any mistake that could possibly be made. You look to them and you say, you come to me. I don't care how messed up you feel, you come to me, I'll make you new. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.